Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hello, podcast friends. It's been a whirlwind of a month. I just spent the last week at the Anoka County Fair. It was amazing saying hi to old friends and making new ones, but it's a long week. During the fair, we basically move into the little farmhouse on the fairgrounds, and we talk about old stuff with humans who visit. Best moment, a little kiddo was just hanging on our every word. We were showing him around. We showed him the chamber pot that sits next to the bed and explained no indoor plumbing and what that pot was for. And uh, then we played on the porch for about 30 minutes and uh, he decided he needed to go to the bathroom. Told his grandparents and starts booking it inside because he remembered what that chamber pot was for. It felt like slow motion running after him. Everybody, no, getting to him before uh, he made it back to that chamber pot and redirected him to the porty potty outside. But he was listening and uh, really taking in that that history. Uh, now we're home in the museum and getting into the groove again. So we have a special episode today that takes us back to our very first episode that came out December 4th, 2020. OG listeners will have already heard it, but if you haven't, you should go back and revisit it. In it, a friend, volunteer, board member, and a podcast guinea pig came on to share the saga of discovering his great-grandmother's hidden first marriage and divorce, as well as the joy in finding a member of his family tree who was gay like him. He mentioned wanting to write a book about his family in that episode, and uh, so many people say they want to write a book and just don't know where to start. Daryl did it. In this episode, he talks about his journey writing, uh, tips for other people thinking about writing their family histories, and a grant we just received so everybody can access his family's archive in the future. It feels really good to welcome Daryl Lawrence back after 40 episodes. I can't believe it. We've learned a lot along the way. Let's get into it. Hello, hello. We are fulfilling our promise that we made in our very, very first episode. Welcome back, Daryl Lawrence. You have exciting news for us. I do. Um, I'm so excited to, one, be back here chatting with you, and two, share that the book that I was working on is finally published. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, I never imagined that the process would take so long, and I think every author says that. So um, it's true. I I thought it was total BS um, because I got my rough draft done within like a month, and I was like, "Oh, that wasn't hard." But everything that was really hard came before, and then came after that. So I'm excited to talk through what that all means with you. Yeah. Tell us, uh, first of all, what's the title? What's the blurb on the book? Yeah, so the title is On the Go All the Time, The Unusually Usual Lives of Two Midwestern Women. 
And it's sort of a dual biography of my great grandma and her mom, my great great grandma. And what I really wanted to highlight in this book and what really drove me to write a book, period, is that you don't get the stories of everyday people in history very often. You get the stories of people who are famous or rich or both. And it's really hard to imagine yourselves in those shoes. I mean, you can read about Rockefeller, but I don't have Rockefeller money. So it's hard for me to imagine living that life back then. So while I really do enjoy biographies like that, I wanted to bring some levity to people reading about history. And luckily, I had the resources available to me to be able to tell that story. And it's particularly a connection for us here because the people that you're writing about have a connection to our county, right? Yes. Um, So neither of them were born in Anoka County. They both lived probably the best years of their lives in Anoka County, however. What section? Oh, Ham Lake. So... Um, my family lived in Anoka County, in Anoka County, and Ham Lake in particular. Um, and both women married into families that were established in Anoka County for quite a while. So um, my great great grandma was the second wife of Ben Livgard. So there are Livgards everywhere out in Ham Lake, and um, it was funny because of that marriage and sort of the split of the generations and how things felt, I actually got to know a little bit Ben Livgard's son, who was my step great, great uncle or something like that. Like he was still alive and was alive into my twenties, which is mind blowing to think about. Like, yes, he was elderly by that point, but still the fact that it was my great, great grandma's stepson that I got to know was pretty cool. And then my great-grandma married the Olsons, and they originally settled in Ham Lake in the 1870s. They both sort of moved in and uh, found happy lives there. And that's at the end of my book. I mean, I'm sorry to spoil something. There's a lot that goes on in their lives before then um, that I think is instructive to how we're living our lives now. Um, Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world, and... There's a firsthand account of my great-grandma living through the 1918 pandemic. And- um, Connections. Yes. So I wrote this book in the midst of the pandemic. And it was interesting to see the correlations between what was going on back then and then what we were experiencing on the ground every day. So many people have these- have this goal of I'm going to write a book about my family there's so many interesting stories what what is the journey to actually get here yeah it started about five years ago um, when I came into possession of all the family papers I was entrusted with them and I started reading through them I've always been a nut for family history and I've always wanted to know more So the process was me leaping through things and then starting to connect the dots. So I had a bunch of letters that no one had ever talked about. My grandma didn't know about them. And she was the daughter of the woman whose letters they were. So uh, there were whole segments of family history that were unknown to anyone living at that point. And that's when I really started exercising my 
genealogy skills and not only using Ancestry.com, but utilizing local resources. Local historical societies are a great place to start. Also, local government organizations. So you're talking um, records and statistics and being able to write a letter or an email or pick up the phone and ask for copies of things so that you could prove a point. Because when you're constructing a history in the narrative, you want to prove a point. Um, you need to anchor things in history and know for certain that things happened on certain dates. So it was important to me to be able to get those marriage certificates and those birth records and all those things. So I had stable things within the timeline where I knew, okay, this event happened and it's a government record. Then these letters were written. Um, so after I discovered all of my primary sources, so the letters, the documents, things like that, then I started to look into the secondary themes. So what did they live through? What was it like? And in the book, you can really look at the bibliography, which is what I did when I was doing research as well. So I would pick up a book and luckily I work at an institution where I can get interlibrary loan books super easy, which everyone can do through their local library. Um, if it's a local public library, they are part of the interlibrary loan system. You can get whatever book you want in the world. It might and, take and if you want a little extra incentive to do that, you can choose the historical society here as a pickup location. So you can get exactly. your book from anywhere and then come and pick it up at the history center. I think the hardest thing is that you're not going to get instant gratification, but it's worth the wait. That's what I did. I mean, there were books available at my local library, and then I would look in their bibliographies and see what are their sources and just continue going layer by layer to find out things. The themes were like World War I and the pandemic, but also working, working women in the 19-teens and the 1920s in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So what did that look like? And what was sure. the understanding the world that they were living in that they wouldn't think to just write explicitly down. You don't yeah. write what is so uber normal about your life when you're writing to somebody else in a, in a letter. So as a researcher, you had to understand that. Yes, absolutely. I needed to put everything into context. And that's when I started organizing everything. And I had um, different colored note cards for different things. And I would write down facts on each note card um, and organize it that way. And then I would write down quotes from secondary sources on note cards as well that I thought were especially applicable to the narrative. And I organized it all in two notebooks. And I also had the letters and everything. So I organized those into a binder with pocket protectors um, or sleeves, so you could see all the letters so I wouldn't have to handle them. Um, if you're going through them a lot, you want to make sure that those letters aren't damaged in any way, yeah. Exactly, and then I could flip through them, and I numbered each letter, so then I could put a corresponding sticker in my notebook, so I, when I flipped to a certain page, I knew I wanted to incorporate this record, so maybe it's a marriage certificate, this quote about being married in the 1910s, and then a few stickers referring to the letters so I could then flip 
find the letters and find passages from them so I could quote them directly. The worst feeling in the world for a researcher is being like, I remember that perfect, perfect quote. Where was it? Yes. And I wanted to avoid that. So I did all of this work probably in 2017, 2018, and then it just sat in the notebooks. And I thought, okay, well, I'll write a book someday. Um, I was in the middle of getting a house built and moving and getting settled and all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't have time for it now. And then the pandemic hit. And then- Surprise. Um, and then I was working remotely. And because I wasn't commuting in every day, I could devote that time to writing which I did. I started April 1st of 2020 and I was done with my rough draft by the end of that month. I love that you know the exact day. Yeah, because I had to set a goal for myself. And um, by the end of March, 2020, we knew we weren't going to be over this within two weeks, like we originally thought. So I said, okay, well, I'm gonna spend all this time at home. Some Let's people get- learned how to make sourdough bread. Some people were super clean in the kitchens. You sat down to write a book. Yes. And um, it turned out longer than I thought it would be, shorter than I thought it could be, if that makes sense. Then after that, I worked with a close friend who is really good at editing. She took a first pass at it. I made those edits and then I let it sit again. Fast forward to this year, about two months ago, and I said to myself, well, If you don't get it done now, you're never going to get it done. You're never going to put it out into the world. So I took a week off of work. I had vacation stashed up. So I took a week off and got all my final edits done. And I contracted out the cover and contracted out formatting because I did not want to learn how to format a book. I would have spent my entire week learning how to do margins and drop caps and things like that. So... um, I contracted that out, got everything back, and learned what it would take to self-publish on Amazon. And now it's out and in the world. I'm really happy. Publishing the book feels like the end of a chapter. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The end of this story, but it's not really. What happens now? Yeah, so in terms of the book, it's out there and it's great. Um, I'm glad it's done. But something that was really crucial to me, even starting this project, were those primary documents. And I'm lucky enough to have a family archive that is a couple thousand documents deep and several thousand photographs deep. So that's, a, that's quite extensive. And I'm quite lucky that my family kept all of those things. But something I worked in conjunction with the Anoka County Historical Society on was producing a grant proposal for the Minnesota Historical Society, um, who sets aside money on a quarterly basis to fund projects in uh, all across the state. And it's for things from reconstructing things to doing scope projects to see, okay, well, we really want to restore this historic barn, but we need to know what it's going to take. Will you fund us finding out what the scope would be? all the way to what we wrote our proposal for, which is digitizing my family archives, which is really cool. Obviously, I wrote a book based off of everything that's in there. And I wanted to be able to provide those resources to everyone else. And 
the grant was funded and we have a year to get everything digitized. So I'm happy to volunteer my services as an in-kind donation as the subject matter expert for everything. So what we're going to do is digitize a bunch of these documents and photographs. The large majority of them will be available digitally right away once they're processed. And I'm on that processing end so I can identify who is who, what is what, and also do some transcription of some of those letters and things. Because throughout the course of this project, I got to know some people's handwriting very well. I can read it with no problem. Whereas it might take some others some time to get used to the specific cursive that someone is using. And it will also help those documents be accessible to those who may have vision impairments. There are a lot of different ways, as you very well know, Sarah, that one item can be used infinite ways when it comes to research. And I think it's so important because my family does have so many things that they're made available and that they're available digitally. And it's such a gift for our collection here at the Anoka County Historical Society because we're charged with telling the history and story of 21 different separate places. And a lot of our donations are centered in the city of Anoka or these other places and Ham Lake, that upper northern middle port of the county is a little underrepresented. And so uh, this collection helps us learn more about that place. Uh, also women's voices, right? Hearing what, what they have to say and what they were doing in their daily lives because a lot of those government documents and business documents in the early 1900s, they're gonna be from the point of view of the men that are running the show. Yeah, and it was really important for me to let their voices come through. And as a writer, I really, I mean, I do acknowledge my biases when it comes to things. I'm a man and I'm writing the story of women. So I really wanted to take my voice out as much as possible. Hopefully as minimal bias with them being my own family members. But it's something that I stopped my narrative at a certain point because I knew if I got too modern, I would know the subjects I was writing about in a very intimate sense. So I didn't want to write about my grandma that much because if I touch too much on her, I, I love the woman. And I, I know that my bias would slip in when telling her story. It would be very hard for me to remain neutral. So dealing with my great-grandma and my great-great-grandma, I never met them. I didn't really hear a whole lot about them growing up. So I could study them from a more objective point of view and tell their stories from a historical standpoint that hopefully is eliminating some of that bias rather than me saying, oh, isn't my family great? I mean, there are really great points about them, but there are also some not so great points about both of them. And I talk about them pretty honestly in the book. Was there a moment in writing, researching, doing all of this that you thought the story was going in one direction, but it, it went someplace else on you because you were, were trying to stay true to those sources? Yes. Um, my great-great-grandpa abused his wife, my great-great-grandma. And it is written 
very plainly in the court documents that I looked up at the Minnesota Historical Society. I confront it head on. And I wish that I could say all of my ancestors were great people. He is not. I mean, I, I would have no interest in meeting him. If you're talking about waving a magic wand and meeting some people from your family's past, I would never want to meet him because he sounds like a pretty bad person. Um, you can't color someone as totally bad um, when you're researching them. But again, like that really surprised me. I wish I wouldn't have had an ancestor that was just trash, um, but I do. And uh, that's where the narrative led me. It, I wrote about it. I, I saw the facts on paper and could not avoid them. If I wanted to tell this story honestly, I needed to tell it fully. And I did. And it's, it, it's interesting that you were finding it in paper records, but it wasn't in the sort of this oral history of people telling stories about their family from one generation to another. No. And um, my grandma knew that she had a grandpa and that, you know, her grandma was married to him. That was it. No one talked about him. And I mean, throughout the course of my research, I found out why no one ever talked about him. He didn't deserve to be talked about by those women. So um, there was a lot of hidden history. If we're talking about doing deep dives into research, neither of my subjects talked about any of the stuff in the book. And it was up to me to do detective work. And it was fun for me to check in with my grandma with my newest discoveries and say, hey, did you know this? And she would inevitably respond, no, I had no clue. And I would bring her copies of things that I found um, in government offices and things like that, or in the archives at the Minnesota Historical Society and say, read this. And she was just awestruck that there were records of it and that she had never heard about it. So um, I found things out about her mom and her grandma and her uncles that she never knew about. What an amazing experience to be able to share those things with her. Yeah, and I'm so excited that because of this grant, people will have more to discover themselves. And um, it's good not only for my family to be able to digitize digitize these things and say, here you go. Anything you want to read, it's right there because it's hard being the person who has the family records because there can be an element of jealousy if people also want those or requests and, hey, do you have this picture or do you know anything about this? But it will be good for other people to be able to access that information as well and tell a more complete story about our county, like you said, the northern part of the county doesn't have a whole lot of stuff. When you dig into our archives, we have some, um, but it's hard to find such a complete family record really anywhere in the county. I think this is probably one of the largest family donations on the books for the Historical Society since we started almost 90 years ago. It, it brings me great joy that it's going to be there for people to dig into and have fun with. I had fun with it. We will be giving updates along the way. Do not yes. worry. <laughs> yes. Um, so if people are interested in the project, we are actually going to be looking for an intern to work with us um, on a part-time basis to help process some of this collection. As I said, it's thousands of things. So we're going to need help. So keep your eyes peeled 
on our website where we will post the opportunity. We might also put it on social media. These grants are wonderful, but it's also a lot of work. As we wrap this up, what's your final piece of advice to someone staring at their family history and saying, wow, what should I be doing with this? You need to pick a point and work out from there. So if you have a lot of family history, pick something that you may be very interested in, something you're really passionate about, and then work your way out and create the connections from there. Like if you don't have a lot of family history, it's really starting to pull on a thread. Go with what you know and then research it. I would recommend starting with your local historical society because they might have stuff that you can utilize. For example, the Anoka County Historical Society, if you come in, you can actually access Ancestry.com on site. So you uh, don't need to play the game like I did, where it's like, okay, I have a bunch of questions I've stockpiled. I'm going to sign up for a month and then cancel it right away so that I can dart in there, research as much as possible within a month and pull back out. When it comes to writing, similarly, find something that you're passionate about with your family history and be conscious of your biases and what they could be doing to how you're telling and constructing that narrative. And then also lean on your secondary sources. But you can get so much from secondary sources that help you tell that story. I never lived in Minneapolis in the 1920s, but there sure are books that tell you what it was like. And it's not just text-based books. There are a lot of books that produce pictures. So you can see what the different streets looked like. And then you can start thinking about what would it be like if I interacted with this? If I was walking down the street, what would it sound like? What would it smell like? What would I see? What would be in the shop windows? How did people shop? How much were things? What did they specifically go to a store for? Was there such a thing as impulse buying? If someone was impulse buying, what would it be? Like, start asking those questions because then you're going to tell a more complete story than if you're, if I just wrote this book based off of demographic research, it would be like, all right, well, if he was born this year and she died this year, these are the places she lived. These were her siblings. Like, no one wants to read that. That's boring. But you can flesh out that narrative with those secondary resources and always, always, always go to the bibliography. If it's a secondary source, like a book, find out what the information is and where they got it from. Keep following that lead back to a primary source if you can, because then you can tell a better story. You have that secondary source, which has framed it for you, but you can also go to the primary source and say, this is what the data actually was. This is what the document was. Here's how it was interpreted. How am I interpreting it for my story with all that information in my head? Thank you so much, Daryl. This has been so much fun to watch you on this journey so far and um, connect with you in order to take this family history on its next steps over yeah. the coming year. So yeah, I'm, thank I'm, you so much. I'm thinking maybe in a year, we have to come back once the whole thing is digitized and ready to be searched in our database, we have to come back and uh, do another episode. 
Yeah, I would love to come back. And in the meantime, folks, it is on the go all the time. The unusually usual lives of two Midwestern women by Daryl Richard Lawrence. You can find it on Amazon. It's an ebook format and paperback. So, so many options. So many options. Or swing into the History Center and pick up a copy for yourself. Yay. Thank you so much, Daryl. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello, my name is Diana Nurberg. I'm a librarian for Anoka County Library, here to offer some additional resources related to this episode's topics, particularly genealogy and family history. Let's get started. First, we have Journeys Home, Inspiring Stories Plus Tips and Strategies to Find Your Family History by Andrew McCarthy. Centered around a theme of homegoing, heritage, and belonging, this book combines typical genealogical advice and techniques with stories from writers who felt a pull toward their ancestral lands. Photos, family heirlooms, recipes, and more bring unconventional zest to this family heritage guide. Next, we have Finding Your Roots, Easy-to-Do Genealogy and Family History by Janice Lindgren Schultz. This handy guide, a publication of the American Library Association, differentiates between genealogy, names, dates, places, and family history, the stories about how family members live their lives. While addressing both of these perspectives, this book illustrates the various types of records one can access and where to find them, from federal, state, and local records to military, church, cemetery records, and even immigration and native records. Next, we have Me and My Family Tree by Joan Sweeney. For the youngest of genealogists, this book about charting your own family tree is a great introduction to the idea of families and how we are connected. The simple language and illustrations teach children in a fun and accessible way. Finally, we have It's All Relative, Adventures Up and Down the World's Family Tree by A.J. Jacobs. In this book, Jacobs explores the roots of his own genealogical tree while also contemplating generally about family, genetics, and more. We hope you find these resources useful and entertaining. If you'd like assistance with accessing any of these resources, please reach out to your nearest Anoka County librarian. We're here to help. Until next time, happy learning. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anokacountyhistory.org. It's so satisfying to get to the end of a big project and a personal goal like that. Check out the beautiful cover to Daryl's book in our show notes page at anokacountyhistory.org. And I have links to go purchase it as well. Our collection is made up of local histories that local people wrote or shared. Um, and pieces that are just waiting, waiting to be a part of somebody's family story or research project. Or for the kids out there, I'm even thinking history day projects. Come and use the primary resources right next door for those projects. Uh, Daryl mentioned uh, learning about the context surrounding your family's names and dates. Delve into the local newspapers, and we have a lot of them here at the museum. Read what your family members would have been reading for news and how they saw the world around them. 
We have a large number of newspapers from around the county dating back to the 1860s on microfilm, to name a few. Uh, the Anoka Union, the Anoka Herald, they were separate at the time, Blaine Life, Circle Pines, Circulating Pines, Columbia Heights Record, Coon Rapids Herald, Fridley News, Spring Lake Park Record. Now, some of those newspapers were only active a limited time, but they are literal time capsules. And I love even looking at the advertisements in them. Plus, we have a digital microfilm reader that is a dream to take digital clips of the articles you may find. So if you're coming in to look at the newspapers, also bring a USB drive and you can take away as many clippings as you'd like. I could go on and on and on and on and on about random resources here at the museum, but you need to go off and do something. And I need to be off and work on organizing the ghost tours. They start in less than a month. And I have some more updates about that later, I promise you. So with that, tease to the future. I'll see you later. Have a great day. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.